The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 35 weeks. The revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show proudly present to you this spectacular time. <laughs> Let's welcome the trio's tag team champions of the world. The master library. Heaven straight out of hellions. Sweet Maddie, trick or treats. And the educator of exorcisms. Collectively known as the Haunted House Show. Enter at your own risk. Halloween Havoc 1996. On today's card for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, we see Rey Mysterio Jr. taking on Dean Malenko. Eddie Guerrero battles Diamond Dallas Page. Jeff Jarrett takes on The Giant. Six battles Chris Jericho. Lex Luger takes on Arn Anderson. Steve Mongo McMichael and Chris Benoit take on the Faces of Fear. For the WCW World Tag Team Championship in our co-main event, Harlem Heat battles the Outsiders. And in the main event for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, Randy Savage takes on the champion, Hollywood Hawk Hogan. Welcome everyone to another edition of the Haunted House Show. It is me as always, Mr. Maddie Trick or Treats, and I am joined by my trios tag team partners. To my right is the educator of exorcisms. Educator, how you doing, buddy? Oh, baby, how we doing, man? Ah, oh, we are so close to Thanksgiving now. Getting ready to get the holiday tree up and going. Getting ready for the uh, upcoming season. Lots of crazy hours at the store. Still putting in time with the driving school and New York State public education. Still holding on. Still going to school every day as well and uh, teaching driver ed. Now, my question to you is, we are a week away from Thanksgiving. Did you think it would last this long? I didn't. I honestly, the over-under was on Columbus weekend. I was shocked that we got through Columbus weekend uh, without any, uh, you know, confirmed cases. As of right now, the school district I work for still does not have any confirmed cases of either active students coming to school or even remote students. Uh, but districts all around us, they're having pop-up clusters here and there. And uh Counties not too far away are already in the motions of sh of shutdown and doing all remote learning until until Christmas or until January. So I honestly think it's going to be a matter of time before it happens. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm by a college campus, and I think the most interesting fact is so far they've only had 16 total cases since the start of the school year, which is insane to think about when you have all these people coming from different areas of New York State, uh, from out-of-staters, you know, everything like that. Only 16 cases when you have, you know, 12,000 people coming in and uh, mingling and living on campus going to parties, stuff like that. I'm, I'm sure they're still doing parties and whatnot. So uh, very, very fascinating. And to our left, Mr. COVID free, the master library, Kevin straight out of Hellions. Kevin, you still COVID free? Still COVID free. As far as I know, uh, I have a little tickle in my throat, but you know, I think I'll be all right. Um, speaking of, uh, girls at college though um interesting little note here <laughs> so what a what a uh what a what a segue kevin yeah yeah so um my kid has a, a the best shorthand is a therapy once a week and the person comes over to his house and she's uh studying to get her masters i believe at one of the local colleges she is also an ra while she's there as well and she was making the point, like you were saying about uh, how many positive cases there are on the college campuses. She was telling me that as RA and RA, she has to walk the halls and do room checks every night to make sure no one has someone in their room because they are kind of locked down for the dorm building. So you can have someone who lives in the same building come over and visit your room you cannot have someone that's in another building be there at night because then that's too close to quarters and then they would be spreading it over to their dorm building. So one of the big points of being at college is kind of gone right now. You know, it was funny. I was talking to a, uh, I went visited my family, had a little vacation and, uh, I, I went out to the bars and, uh, you know, it's very different. There's really no one out. Um, talking to a local owner, a proprietor of a bar. And he said, one of the biggest things that's killing his business isn't like the food or the bar. It's the fact that you can't go out and meet a stranger. Like the, no one's doing that right now. Like you can't mingle, you can't pick up, you know, uh, if you're lonely, you can't find some company for the evening at a bar because you have to sit you know, at a table, you can't stand up at, at bar stools. You can't, you got to be in the same party. Like there's, there's the plastic in between you. Um, so that is one of the things that he said that that's one of the appealing things about a bar is you go out, you have a few drinks, you buy a drink for the, for the table next to you, for this person. Um, and, and it's one thing that I didn't even think about would kill his business, but he says that is one of the, the major contributing factors to it. Yeah, it's nuts. My sister-in-law has a bar and grill business as well uh, in the next town over. And my, my two oldest kids are actually, um, they work there. One's a waitress and one is a hostess slash buses tables. And it's this crazy how much things have changed from, uh, you know, last summer back when they were both working there as their first summer that compared to this past summer. And then now just with, you know, here we are tiptoeing, you know, getting towards Christmas and 
yeah, just the parties, the gatherings, and it's just the social awkwardness and not being able to intermingle and so on. It's it's just depressing the way things are now. And, you know, we're, we're hoping that vaccines are going to be coming soon and that hopefully we can get back to or embrace and almost back to the norm. But I just I don't know how long it's going to be before we can even get there. I mean, I was already socially awkward. Now I'm just out of practice. Gonna be even worse. I mean, that's really what's stopping me from just picking up random ladies of the night um, at bars is is really the plastic between us. Because you guys know me. You call me the Slayer for all I know, and I just I'm just slaying them, buying them drinks, very social, you know. So it's been very difficult for me. So I've been collecting wrestling buddies instead. Oh baby, nothing, nothing. I thought the, <laughs> I thought the Slayer I would at least get a pop out of Kevin, but. I mean, if you want to rain in blood, you just go right ahead. Is that a Slayer reference? That is a Slayer reference. Okay. See, I, I was going to go with Tis the Seasons of the Abyss. And, yeah. No, we got to wait for the Christmas episode for that. So, <laughs> um, so guys, uh, this is a jam-packed episode uh, of the Haunted House Show. Number one, we want to thank our sponsor, Fun.com. We still have the promo code, uh, the promo link, I should say, in the show notes. Go right down there, click on it, save 15% off one item at fun.com. Uh, you guys are probably, you know, if you're like me, maybe have started your uh, Christmas shopping. It is like four weeks away, as crazy as it sounds, five weeks away at this point. So um, I, and I know for me working retail, it'll be here in no time. So make sure you're, you're doing that. But we have a special announcement to make. And we're not making it right now. We're going to make it towards the end of the show because what we planned on doing, once again, the the house show, the haunted house show, is bringing things to life, okay? In this pay-per-view, a certain someone mentions a certain something. That's right, he does. And we've been talking about this. I didn't realize when, when I said, oh, when should we announce what we're doing for a future episode or episodes? Um, I didn't realize that we actually would have that brought up in this Halloween Havoc, which is crazy to think about. It's just serendipitous. It is what the haunted. Ugh, it is what the haunted house show does. So that's a little tease. You like that tease, Kevin? Did I hit the tease? I said, do you like my little tease? Oh, <laughs> Did you hit the tease? I mean, like what? Are you smoking teas? What is going on? I, I, I like the tease. I don't know if it's enough to go meet you at the bar, but yeah. So, so anyways, why don't we get right into it? Um, and I really want to get into this one guys, because we are discussing Halloween havoc 1996 and it takes place. The date was October 27th. We are in paradise folks. That's right. Paradise, Nevada, better known as beautiful. Las Vegas, Nevada. We're at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Over 10,000 people in attendance. What did you think of the crowd? And it's Vegas. I, I love every second of it. Super hot crowd. Absolutely enjoyed uh, everything within the show. There did not seem to be any downtime or dead air with the crowd whatsoever. Um, Love, love this particular show. Lots to talk about. Lots of entertaining matches. Lots of unexpected gems going back and watching this show. Oh, gosh, what is this now? 24 now years later. 
Uh, absolutely love the show and can't wait to discuss with you guys what your thoughts were. You know, you think back to WCW got the audience for Saturday night when it was taped at uh, Disney or Universal Studios or wherever, when they would go up to people waiting in line and wandering through the park and saying, hey, would you like to come inside somewhere air conditioned for an hour and watch a TV show? And that's how they got their crowd. And it was clear they weren't wrestling fans. You could do the same thing in Vegas. I don't know if these fans, if the people in attendance were actually wrestling fans or not. But it didn't matter because they, from the start, put on an exciting show for them to get them into it. These people were just like, oh, I'm in Vegas. Let me go see a show. I'm not really into wrestling. They were fans by the end of the night. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a fun show. Of course, Vegas has a certain energy to it. Uh, I know you guys have never been. Um, I have. And it's my favorite city in the world. I love it to death. So many great stories like, you know, having Coolio steal some of my chicken from me. Uh, he owes me $150 and throwing that out there. Uh, so maybe I'll tell those stories <laughs> a little later. Chicken. It wasn't. No, he's it's a long story. He tried to steal my Ray-Ban sunglasses, too. We'll, we'll let that slide, though. So um, wait, but, are you are, do you forgive him, though? Have you let it slide, slide, slippity slide? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I, I have. <laughs> you know, what's funny is. OK, so a quick story about Coolio real quick. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. Um, so he owes me $150. So Coolio meets us. It's a friend of a friend knows Coolio. It's a weird thing. So um, he said, we've, we've met him before. Um, we had breakfast with him. It's, 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 a, it's It was fun. Um, so we were just hanging out at the bar the next day at the Caesars Palace Sportsbook Bar. Okay. So you're sitting there. So Coolio shows up with our uh, friend of a friend. And, you know, we're, we're just playing the video poker and stuff and getting free drinks because that's what you do. Um, I had just hit for like 200 bucks, 250, whatever. Um, so I think I was down to, I took a hundred out, cash that out, had $150 left on a voucher. And Coolio's like, whose voucher's that? Whose money's that? I said, well, it's mine, Coolio. So he takes the voucher, puts it in to the machine. He goes, I'm going to make you stacks today. I said, okay, let's make some stacks with Coolio because this is going to be fun. Literally two minutes later, I'm at zero. I said, Coolio, where are my stacks? You promised stacks. I got no stacks. He goes, well, that's the thing about video poker. You either win or you lose. And he said, well, that's life, Coolio. Like, that's a 50-50% chance. Like, what kind of weird uh, profit, you know, you're waxing poetic here. That makes no sense. <laughs> I swear to God. He goes, you know what? Let me tell you something, Matt. It sucks right now, but just remember, tomorrow's a gangster's paradise. <laughs> and, and he must say that line to everyone. Like, you know, like, you, educator, you must have, like, a good go-to line that you say, uh, like, like a catchphrase. We used to make fun of... Uh, of uh, the team hellions over there, Kevin, because he used to always say, yeah, right. Or his catchphrase was always, you'd be like, oh man, this chicken sandwich is great. And then Kevin, you would say, you think that's great. You know, what's great. Me. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the whole thing. I'm me. I'm great. Me. Like that would be the whole, the whole thing for Kevin. So, uh, so yeah, Coolio had that one in the chamber cocked, locked, and ready to be pulled, so he, uh, yeah, fun story, though. The only Gangster's Paradise I have is the classic ECW event on VHS. He was a good dude. He was a fun dude. He's a nice guy. 
you know. You know, it's funny when we were hanging out with him, we looked up his like you know celebrity net worth. We were kind of curious, and uh, I know why he stole the hundred and fifty dollars from me. So <laughs> let's just say, you know, he's a, he's got great stories though from when he was like on top of the world because he was like the thing. Fan, fantastic story, but but yeah, when you're in Las Vegas, you're promised a good show, especially when Slim Jims are involved, and there's a lot of great Slim Jim promotion. I will say though, is the longer we get into this Halloween havoc, they really don't lean into the Halloween theme that much anymore. You still got the classic set, but that really that's it. No one's dressed up. Um, you know, there's no Dave Hellions isn't there dressed up like Kevin Hellions or, or Maddie Treats, whatever that <laughs> analogy was. Um, so what do, what do you guys think of that? Is that something that you remember is them getting away from the Halloween theme? I'm, I'm, it's kind of, you know, pulls at the heartstrings because they, I mean, the whole part of the gimmick was the whole Halloween theme. And yeah, there's a Halloween theme, but it's just the set. And then it's just like ignored for the rest of the night. I mean, you know, at the beginning with the goofy intros and so on, the the Tony Schiavone being, you know, in the in the haunted mansion. I mean, that was just a phenomenal opening that one year. Um, and now it's just like it's an afterthought, really. They're still using the the same tombstones, the one of them that says Crockett on it for whatever reason. So I don't know. It's too bad, though. I mean, they're. It's not the 15th or 16th one, but they're 15, 16 year olds. I'm too old for Halloween. I'm too cool for it. And then a couple of years later, it's like, I want to dress up again. That was fun. So right now, you know, oh, we got the NWO now. We're too cool to do Halloween stuff and dress up. We got the NWO, our edgy product that's, you know, helping us in the ratings. Although, spoiler alert, Hogan does dress up. Does have a bit of a costume on. A little bit. Oh, it's fantastic, by the way. Um, <laughs> do you think maybe they got away from the Halloween theme because they just put to bed the Dungeon of Doom? Last year you had the Yeti. Like, it probably went a little over the top with the pay-per-view last year. A little bit. I mean, the Dungeon of Doom is still around. They do make an appearance here as part of a match. But um, I'm wondering if part of it also had to do with the 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 Slim Jim, you know, interaction and all that and the monster truck and and just, you know, trying to, I guess, curtail the old wrestling uh, that, you know, was the the pre Turner kind of NWA rollover. And it's one of the held on to the paper, you know, one of the pay-per-views they held on to to now. We're, you know, trying to be more mainstream kind of deal and trying to be, you know, very competitive with Vince McMahon and the WWF at the time. So who knows? Yeah. So the reason I bring that up, that it's not very Halloween, is the intro video is just really breaking down the NWO. Of course, they have just formed in July, so they are really taking off at this point. Uh, we are greeted by our uh, crew, which is Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes. Um, and I do want to say I need a Halloween Havoc polo shirt so bad. It looks so cool. Their <laughs> entire crew, that's all that they wore, literally, was just this solid black polo. It's great. Oh, with the little logo in the corner. So good. Do you think the logo, is that a is that a Halloween Havoc phantom as, as the head? It is. <laughs> It is now. It is, it is now. now. <laughs> um, so we get right into our first match of the 
evening. And I'm so happy that we finally got the cruiserweight division. We get a lot of great work rate. Uh, we have Dean Malenko taking on Ray Mysterio Jr. in a for a cruiserweight title match. Uh, and they add Mike Tanay to uh, the call here. So it's good to hear the professor. Um, so what did you guys think of the first match? Way to get us started, huh? Oh, oh my gosh. For an opener ma- opening match, fantastic action back and forth between these guys, really highlighting the, this new division, the jumpstart division that had started earlier in the year. Uh, fantastic chemistry between Dean Malenko and Ray Mysterio Jr., Love the fact that Mysterio's coming out to the music that he had was what Zodiac's music was last year during his match when he got squashed by Macho Man in that like two, three minute match. Um, yeah, fan, just a fantastic opener. Great back and forth action between both. They come out and I was worried how much time they're going to get. Like n- next next show, next pay-per-view is the big cruiserweight match we've all been waiting for. But I think back to last time with uh, Sabu and JBL, or JBL, jeez. <laughs> Sabu and JL. <laughs> How was that Sabu and JBL match? Oh, it was a slobber knocker. Was that a, a one night stand three? Yeah, there's a thumb to the eye and a thumb somewhere else during the match. So Sabu and JL had zero time. And I'm like, oh, jeez, I hope Dean and Ray have are given time if they're given more than three minutes they could have a hell of a match and damn if they weren't given plenty of time and had a hell of a match yeah so why don't we get right into it Uh, educator question are you going to break this one down or are you going to hot tag it to mr hellions oh we're definitely breaking this one down i enjoyed this match a lot (laughs) we see that's the secret all right, we see Dean Malenko coming to the ring. He's carrying a mask that he had stolen uh, from Rey Mysterio. It must be on a previous episode of Nitro or maybe Saturday night. Rey Mysterio comes to the ring wearing his Cruiserweight Championship gold, coming out to the same music that was the Zodiac's music from the previous year. So we're doing a little bit of music recycling. We have referee Mark Curtis, who was Brian Hildebrand and from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He is now... Uh, part of WCW staff and is now one of the referees for WCW programming. So the start of the match, we see Dean Malenko attacking uh, Mysterio from behind. We end up getting a belly-to-back suplex to start the match, and we get a quick two-count. We see a waist-lock takedown and a Texas cloverleaf attempt by uh, Dean Malenko, but Mysterio was able to roll out and escape. We see lots of back-and-forth reversals, twists, and arm drag takedowns back-and-forth between both men. We see Mysterio hitting a springboard dropkick and then a somersault senton over the top rope as Malenko was on the floor. Back in the ring, we see Mysterio hitting a cradle-like victory roll for a two-count. Malenko ends up doing a standing vertical suplex attempt, but instead of dropping back, he kind of tosses Mysterio's body over the top rope where his legs end up crossing the ropes. Um, we got a pretty decent crowd pop for that, you know, that momentary drop of Mysterio's body across the rope. Malenko hits a body slam onto Mysterio and starts working on a seg- uh, single leg Boston Crab. And is now continuing to work the lower back, almost doing like a regal-like stretch as he's gripping one of Mysterio's arms and yanking it back while still holding on to the single-leg crab. We see Malenko hitting a belly-to-back suplex off of the second rope 
for a two count. We see Malenko working on basically almost like a reverse triangle uh, choke with his legs, more like a headlock kind of deal, as if he was like sitting on top of Ray's shoulders and riding his shoulders. But this is mat work on the ground. We see Malenko hitting a delayed standing vertical suplex on Rey Mysterio for a two count. Mysterio sneaks in an inside cradle roll up out of nowhere, only gets a two count from referee Mark Curtis. Malenko now starts working on the back again with a camel clutch, uh, like chin lock on Ray Jr. Malenko ends up hitting a tilt a whirl backbreaker after Ray was rebounding from an Irish whip into the ropes. We get a two count after that tilt a whirl backbreaker. Mysterio does an Irish, or I'm sorry, uh, Mysterio gets Irish whipped from Malenko, and Malenko ends up catching him in a sleeper hold, and then he does a body scissors to bring Rey Mysterio down. The referee does the, you know, the three arm drops to see if Mysterio's out cold, but Ray is able to battle back before the third arm drop. Malenko then hits another standing uh, sleeper hold after Mysterio escapes from the first one. They eventually get back to the mat, and the referee repeats the stop, the spot of the three arm drops. Mysterio again escapes after the third. He battles back, and he ends up hitting the ropes, only for Dean to essentially bury a stiff knee into Mysterio's gut, and um, Mysterio does like a forward front flip bump as a result. Malenko hits an amazing looking like snap release Northern Lights suplex and then follows through with a pinfall attempt but still only gets a two count. Both men end up uh, climbing the turnbuckle uh, from the outside apron and they end up punching each other and they both fall back and crash and burn onto the floor. Both men eventually crawl their way back into the ring. Ray hits a springboard into a somersault senton and then hits a maestro cradle onto Malenko to get a two count. We see lots of reversals back and forth between Mysterio and Malenko. At one point, Mysterio essentially hits like a backland bridge like cradle roll up for an unsuspecting two count. Uh, Malenko just barely able to escape. We see another standing vertical suplex by Dean Malenko, kind of a delayed suplex again with a snap drop down two count from referee Mark Curtis. Malenko is hit by Mysterio with a twisting corkscrew senton from the second rope out onto the floor. Mysterio does a attempts to do a reverse pop-up powerbomb, but Malenko is able to, uh, or tries to escape, but then uh, Mysterio ends up hitting a hunakarana onto Malenko for a two-count. Mysterio does an apron springboard towards the top rope for Malenko to basically catch him and do a sit-out powerbomb, and that got a huge crowd pop. Again, still only for a two-count. Both Malenko and Mysterio are ending up climbing onto the corner turnbuckle. Malenko ends up catching Mysterio in the gut and does a gut-wrench powerbomb from the second rope back into the ring for the 1-2-3 pinfall. And new cruiserweight champion Dean Malenko won an absolutely stellar match back and forth. Probably the best opening match we have seen so far. Also going to be perhaps a contender for our top five at the end of the night. If I had to read my notes for this match, it would end with top five discussion question mark. <laughs> so I'm with you in there. 
so you two being the video gamers and me not being one am i correct that at some point there's something called like a physics engine or something like that so your your character would move kind of like you would move in real life so wouldn't it look awkward is that is that something i've heard of at some point i mean at Every game has like physics engines. That's the thing. Like every every game does. But yeah, like so, like Super Mario Brothers did. Yeah, every game has a physics engine of how floaty. I'm not gonna get into it. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, my overall point is, it's like someone put logic into wrestling for the way that these guys are moving, like. Dean goes to lock on a sleeper, but it's not just a sleeper that we've seen a hundred times before. And let's just stand there and Ray's arm gets dropped twice. And then the third time, no, he doesn't do that. He locks his legs around, goes back and is just taking him out even more. And it makes sense. That right. makes so much more sense here. And if you did that now, or even a couple years after this, people be like, well, it's the MMA influence. That's not even what it is. It's Dean Malenko and Ray Mysterio being like, okay, we've wrestled hundreds of times. We know each other. So to go out and wrestle an ABC by the numbers match makes no sense. Why would you go for a move that I know you're going to go for and I can counter? So everything seemed like fresh for this match because they're so familiar with each other. Okay, I can't do what I usually do against someone else because this guy knows me. So let me do other moves instead. Like it starts out so fast. And then once Dean gets control, he slows it down completely. What? I don't have to do crazy stuff. I just got to ground him. I've wrestled him before. I know what I got to do. And Dean just controls it for so long. The crazy thing was, I it was like, I don't know, five, ten minutes in the match. I look, I'm like, Dean Malenko hasn't broken a sweat. He just, he looks completely fresh. And they've had a hell of a match already. I was just stunned by it. The match ends up being so good that Bobby Heenan completely drops his character for a moment and just is like this is a hell of a match yeah absolutely not heel face nothing he was just like wow when you, how many matches had he probably seen at that point tens of thousands at that right. point you know and to impress him you've done something you've done something good i was just stunned by it i'm like oh my god i forgot how good ray was healthy i've totally forgot how good dean was because he didn't get to do much when he came over with radicals really right but oh my gosh it was just stunning i'm like i i, I just need to stop everything i'm doing and watch this match like not watch it and try to do something else watch it and do notes whatever i just need to watch this i was in awe that's that's something you know when when treats is talking to a random girl on tinder and she's like oh you like wrestling show her that match right you think that's that that this one would be your match, Kevin? That you show so because we've actually thrown around the idea of, and maybe we should end up doing this, making a list for the run-in of matches you would show someone that's not a wrestling fan to to get it into because um, there's a little bit of the story, obviously, with getting the mask back and different things like that. But um, athletically, I mean, it, it's it is a great match without a doubt, um, and I, it, it's a new. A new style, a new category that we in the United States at the time were just not so much exposed to. I mean, AAA and CMLL and, and Mexican wrestling. I mean, this was this is their bread and butter. Japan, we got Jushin Thunder Liger, who we've gotten little spurts of here and there, you know, making trips to the United States. 
But I mean, he while it was a phenomenal talent, I mean, he certainly was not the only one from Japan that was putting on this kind of style of match. And so because we've had such limited exposure and now WCW is putting forth the the effort to try to mainstream this kind of style of wrestling, uh, they're just creating this new niche and uh, fans just ate it up like crazy. Yeah, and uh, my notes um, also say awesome match, top five, question mark. <laughs> so I got a feeling that'll be on our, uh, we will be discussing that a little later in the show. Uh, but let's follow that up with Lee Marshall interviewing Double J Jeff Jarrett in full Double J gear, really. Um, I, I thought that was a little fascinating um, how in, in I'm, I'm going to guess this is why the WWE now is so controlling over their characters. To me, it was jarring to see really Jeff Jarrett as looked like the J- Double J character that he was at the early In Your Houses. It's a weird timeline in that. So this is, of course, you know, October 96. We discussed in our In Your House series how... Um, you know, he kind of made his return at the December 95 uh, in your house when started that whole feud with Ahmed Johnson. And then that was his return from the walkout when he had dropped the IC title to Shawn Michaels earlier in the year when both him and the road dog had left. So it, it's a weird timeline. And, you know, now he's been a, f- a few months, more than a few months now removed from WWF television as he left early in 96. So yeah, he's still got the weird garb with the, with the stripes going down the front, you know, in his, in his long gear, full double J gear, pretty much. However, you know, they're kind of flirting with the idea. He's a, he's a de facto member of the horseman. He's not really, but he's, you know, kind of like a side deal. So it was interesting to see what the plan was moving forward because at this point, Arn Anderson still an active member, um, you know, having some health issues, but you know, storyline didn't exactly play out the way that we'd hoped it would. I mean, treats if you train someone to be a manager at your store and then they up and leave and they you know go across the road and become a manager at another store that's your competition and take money and resources away from you, you'd probably be pretty ticked off. And maybe do something in the future so that people can't use your company to get trained to get better and then take the experience elsewhere. Um, I'm just curious, how did you guys think uh, Lee Marshall did? He was okay. It was, yeah, it was kind of, yeah. Well, fun fact, um, he was the voice of Tony the Tiger on Frosted Flakes commercials. He did great! Is that what you wanted us to say? Is that what you were hoping? Yeah, I'm sorry. you got to take those jokes to uh, Hoji Coolander. <laughs> you got to take those to Adam <laughs> if you want to get them. Um, no, he does good. I like him doing, to be honest, though, out of all of his work, I like him better on AEW as Alex Marvez. Oh, jeez. Oh, cheers. No, he was fine. He was fine. I didn't have anything. I thought it was very interesting. We get the Jeff Jarrett giant feud. Um, that's an interesting match that we will talk about later. Um, and then Ric Flair, of course, is part of that interview. And then we get into match number two on the night, which is DDP 
Diamond Dallas Page taking on Eddie Guerrero for the battle for the Battle Bull ring. Uh, this is where we see Nick Patrick in a neck brace. Um, and one thing that I noticed is before Eddie got jacked with, you know, supplements and different things like that, DDP looked so huge yeah, to me. He really did. DDP is deceptively, he's a big guy. I mean, he's like 6'5", I think, 6'4", 6'5", deceptively big. And, you know, he's getting in better and better ring shape. I mean, you look at the gear that he had worn last year uh, with his match with Johnny B. Bad when he had, you know, Max Muscle as like, you know, a character on the side as his second at the ring. And now he's coming and he's got uh, just a different similar he's got the long pants but he's no longer wearing like a bodysuit body vest kind of deal it's just a vest that he takes off and yeah ddp looks just physically very impressive in this match i mean ddp like a lot of the feuds we're very familiar with scott hall kevin nash even when he went into wwe it was with undertaker all guys equal or bigger than him so you don't really notice how big he is until a spot like this where you're like oh my gosh he almost dwarfs eddie but then he the moves he does and the chemistry he ends up having and you know usually the heel would call a match like this i think i honestly think page went teddy was like show me show me what to do i've never wrestled anyone like you before yeah. call the match and let's do this right trying to make the most of his minutes with somebody that he knew I mean, Paige knew his position. He knew he was still green, new to the business, newer to the business in terms of active in-time ring, uh, ring work. And he knew he was working with a renowned individual that had a phenomenal following, a family dynamic and history that just uh, decades and decades of, of experience. So um eddie guerrero did fantastic i i think and what i don't know what your guys thoughts do you believe eddie got injured the way he sold the diamond cutter at the end to me it looked like he was holding on ribs like he had gotten hurt from that power bomb spot it earlier in the match it definitely seemed like they shuffled around some stuff uh so the camera wasn't on the ring and so they had time to get him out of the ring right at the end yeah, it was a very odd ending to the match, which otherwise was a really good match. The ending just kind of made it, made it fall flat for me. Uh, but Educator, why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us? So at the start of the match, we're seeing DDP working a wrist lock and then working down on the shoulder of Eddie Guerrero. We see Eddie Guerrero with a hip toss and then an arm drag takedown to DDP. He works on a headlock uh, takeover and gets a quick one count from referee Nick Patrick, who's, like we've said or mentioned already, he's in a neck brace, but somehow working as one of the two primary referees for this show. We see Eddie reversing DDP's multiple escape attempts, and he ends up holding on to that headlock to continue to work on the mat. We see DDP with a uh, front headlock like takedown and then Eddie ends up rolling through. He hits a drop kick that ends up sending DDP out to the floor on the floor. Eddie follows him and Eddie Irish whips DDT into the guardrail. Uh, Eddie ends up rolling DDP back into the ring and sets up for that front flip over the top rope senton where he yanks himself over the top rope. 
and does that backsplash senton. He gets a two count from referee Nick Patrick. DDP ends up reversing an Irish whip into the turnbuckle, and Eddie ends up hitting chest first. And then the rebounding Eddie Guerrero falls back towards DDP, who hits a belly-to-back suplex. And instead of dropping uh, Eddie on his back, he ends up dropping Eddie, so he ends up straddling or crotching him over the top rope. DDP tries uh, for a pin in the ring, but he ends up putting his feet on the ropes, and Nick Patrick does see it, and he ends up stopping the pinfall attempt. We see DDP flapjacking Eddie off of an Irish whip, and the announcers just absolutely went nuts for that spot. They ended up calling it a nosedive for whatever reason, uh, but Eddie hit pretty, pretty hard off of that flapjack. We see DDP hitting, uh, picking up Eddie as if he's going to hit a power bomb, but he ends up twisting Eddie around and does a gut buster over his knee for a two count. DDP then works an abdominal stretch. However, Eddie is able to escape by hip tossing DDP over in order to get out of the move. DDP hits a tilt a whirl side slam on Eddie after Eddie was rebounding off of the ropes for an offensive maneuver. At one point, we see Nick Patrick and DDP kind of getting in an argument or they're kind of shoving each other or pointing each other in the chest back and forth. And that got a little bit of a crowd pop because DDP was getting on Nick Patrick's case. DDP and Eddie end up trading back and forth right hands to the point where we see um, a a whole combination of pinfall attempts and roll-ups and pinfall reversals and a very slow laboring Nick Patrick just taking forever to move around and start counting. So he's starting to sell that his injured neck is preventing him from doing his job. And this ends up becoming a storyline throughout the rest of the night and a lot of the NWO's matches. So it's unfortunate the direction that they're doing this is how it's influencing non-NWO-related matches. We see DDP hitting a standing lariat uh, onto Eddie Guerrero. Just a huge clothesline. Got amazing crowd heat for that. It seems like DDP did a botch and a slip up in the match where Eddie Guerrero is kind of like leaning forward like he got punched in the gut and he's trying to like catch his wind. And DDP ends up attempting to do a knee lift or a boot, but Eddie just stands up slowly and it's like he swung his leg DDP for a miss and ends up taking a back bump and just it seemed very awkward. It looked awkward on TV. Eddie ends up getting uh, DDP in the corner and climbs up to the second rope and does the mounted 10-punch count with the crowd counting. We see Eddie hitting a high cross diving crossbody off the top rope over the post towards DDP, who has now had rolled out to the floor. We see DDP hitting a pile driver-like pickup only to do a front flapjack. Very looks similar to like what a Styles Clash would end up being. Uh, he ends up doing a two, getting a two count from referee Nick Patrick. We see an amazing uh, sit-out power bomb that DDP does. He throws uh, Eddie into the ropes. He picks up Eddie for a twisting power bomb, 
a sit-out powerbomb. He gets a two-count from referee Nick Patrick. And I believe this powerbomb caused some kind of injury to Eddie because the guys just go right to the finish after that powerbomb where DDP locks a chin lock you know, to set up for the diamond cutter, starts jaw-jacking for, to the crowd, and he hits it. And the way that Eddie drops, he's like holding his arms in front of his chest and his abdomen to try to like protect his body. But it was just a weird weird cold finish just he calls for the move and the the flop to the ground for the diamond cutter to the canvas it just it looked botched it looked awkward but ddp scores the one two three pinfall and wins the match you know we've we've complained quite a lot especially this wcw run of screwy endings to matches not at all what this is accident slip up miscue timing whatever so it is completely forgivable whatever did happen. And, you know, I wouldn't take anything away from match for it. Uh, talked when we get started about the familiarity and how good the match was and everything. I was very nervous towards the beginning of the match that it was going to become the Nick Patrick show and take away from Paige and Guerrero. And it came real close to put in Nick Patrick's story ahead of the action. But then they dialed it back. It's like, oh, thank God, because they were having a hell of a match. I didn't want it to be involved in the storyline. Um, I love Paige trash-talking people. I very much appreciated him calling Eddie girlfriend when he was trying to pick him up and do stuff. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't weren't the announcers saying we had no idea where the ring was the entire time? And then it turns out it's in Nick Patrick's pocket. <laughs> Yeah, it was weird. Bobby Heenan had mentioned in the match that, you know, uh, from the Clash of the Champions, that when he stole the ring from Eddie um, and took possession of the ring, that Paige was claiming that he himself did not know where the the ring was. But then come the end of the match, Nick Patrick had access to the ring and ended up handing it to DDP. It was weird. I, I mean, the funny thing is, with that interaction and Nick Patrick shenanigans later in the night, if I'm watching all this fresh, I'm assuming Diamond Dallas Page is next to join NWO. I absolutely would have thought so, based on his interaction with Nick Patrick in the ring for this match. We know what happens, but I, I would have been fooled by the storyline. Speaking storyline, great, great long-term planning with the Nick Patrick thing building up to the main event. So we follow that up with Mike Tanay interviewing the Macho Man because guys, it's not a Halloween havoc if we're not giving giving away some monster trucks here. Right. Um, there is a Slim Jim giveaway for a street legal monster truck. Oh yeah. Now now guys, the the, the woman that wins, uh Joe McCallick from Romulus, Michigan. Please tell me you looked her up on Facebook. I looked her up. I can't find anything. <laughs> I wanted to see what the street legal Macho Man Slim Jim vehicle looked like. I'm I'm wondering if it was the vehicle that he ended up rolling out with towards the end of the. I don't know because they said street legal, like you'd be able to drive legal. it. That one I don't think you'd be able to drive. <laughs> I mean, you can drive it, but I mean, maybe you take the frame and put it on different wheels. Yeah, can you imagine? Because I don't crazy. want that. You still got the roll head, up, though. I want to roll up in that. So, uh, <laughs> so then, uh, you guys, you can also listen to Halloween Havoc radio broadcast on the internet. My question to you guys, was this like a podcast? What is going on here? Pre-calling it podcast. So, yeah, right. so was it a different audio feed, or do you think it was just probably the same feed of Bobby, Tony, and Dusty calling the show? It's hard to say. I really will. I really wouldn't know. I mean, I, the to me, the easy thing would have just been an audio sync and just playing that audio from 
them calling the show, but maybe there were just two other people that were doing, you know, your C-level announcers who were calling the show. No, it probably was. It was probably your main, the same audio we heard, but kind of like when you have um, the local person taking care of a national broadcast feed. So it was your three announcers, and then when they have like a downtime, it'll be like, you're listening to WCW Halloween Havoc on CompuServe. All right, Kevin. I'm calling you on your powers, okay? Okay. We would like a new podcast on the Retro Network where we will find the archive of this audio Halloween Havoc and present Not it. Not where I was material. going with it, but All right. I mean, I agree. <laughs> so repeat after me. Okay. I, I Kevin Hellions. Kevin Hellions. I'm just putting it out into the world. Just putting it out there into the ether. That's not the words, but okay. So if it goes wrong, now it's like a butterfly effect. Something will go wrong. I'll have, I'll have no arms like Ashton Kutcher. So, <laughs> um, dear WWE Network, dear WWE Network, please release the Halloween Havoc radio version. Please release the Halloween Havoc radio version as an alternate commentary Ooh. to the actual Halloween Havoc. As an alternate commentary to the actual Halloween Havoc show. I think that would be a great idea. I also think, too, that if they do, the WWE Network does eventually move their pay-per-views off and they go to, like, you got to pay an extra 10 bucks to order them through Peacock or Amazon or whatever they're looking at, that they should have an audio feed with all their podcasts and stuff like that as part of the network. You, You know, you put it into your player, you put your username, password. Um, you can do all your Corey Graves shows, your Sam Roberts, Alexa Bliss. Right. Um, Adam Van will only listen to the Alexa Bliss one. But um, they should include, if you could, all the 1900 hotlines, right. all of the Ooh, audio commentary. I mean, how great would that be? That would well, be fantastic. Like uh, when we were watching in your houses and they're like on the superstar line talking about their match that just happened throw all those up there too if they're still recorded i mean if you have them saved that would be right i also think too they should also digital to digital digitize digitize digit what digitize monetize monetize oh wwe will definitely monetize anything they should digitize dig oh my god well, you're gonna. They be should put the magazines. They should just put the magazines on the thing. Oh, absolutely. On the, on the website. Fully agree with that. So moving on. Chris Jericho's in a chat room. <laughs> then we get Mike Tanay interviewing Dean Malenko. Uh, then we get an NWO interview where they are in the crowd, and we got DiBiase introducing the Giant, and of course you got to have Virgil back there or Vincent, excuse me. Uh, Vincent back there, and that leads to match number three on the night, which is the Giant taking on. Jeff Jarrett with Ric Flair in his corner. What an odd match. I I had forgotten the whole storyline. I had forgotten that Ric Flair had been United States champion. Forgotten that he had an injury. I I don't know if it was a storyline or if it was a legit injury. For some reason to me, I believe it probably was a legit injury because they really pushed the whole the United States title being stolen or taken away from Flair because the Giant had it. And then at one point they ended up shifting it over to six 
and six was running around with it, which was weird because you would have expected him being like going after the cruiserweight title. And that was later on in like 97, I think, by the time he ended up having it. Um, but yeah, it, it was just a weird time for Flair, weird time, you know, face Flair, the horsemen kind of being almost faces because, you know, they were feuding with the Dungeon of Doom. But now there's this whole thing with the NWO. It's a weird time, but the commentary at least did kind of explain that the original match was supposed to be Flair versus Giant, but Flair ends up having a shoulder injury, uh, and now we're at the point where you know he's got to have surgery on it in order to repair it. I don't know if it was a rotator cuff or something like that, but to me, I, I this probably was something legit and that this was their way of getting the title off of Flair and making it still relevant without, you know, Flair losing the championship. Uh, but it's just a weird combination with now Jarrett being in and being an associate of, of Flair, but not being a member of the four horsemen kind of deal. And then at one point he ends up feuding with Mongo. So crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, you got... Giant for the second Halloween Havoc in a row, carrying a title that he did not actually win by pinfall. And then you see the change in him in a year of, you know, he was, it was his first match on the previous Halloween Havoc, standing, you know, tall, doing the best he can and everything. And then you see him in this one and he looks hunched over, miserable, depressed. Like either he's been up all night or he's partying too much or he's on something, but he did not look in the same shape a year later. All right. So why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us? All right. So we see the match start with Jeff Jarrett kind of sneaking in a cheap shot right hand and then start strutting across the ring kind of just to annoy the giant, just to irritate the giant. He ends up doing it for a second time. And then, you know, strutting across the ring. At one point, Jared attempts to do a side headlock, but the giant just lifts him up and tosses him across the ring like a back body drop kind of deal. He ends up doing a big back bump and just huge crowd pop for the power uh, shown by the giant, just tossing Jared crazily off to the side. Jared ends up avoiding a few clubs and attempts to do a few shoulder blocks to the giant when the giant was backed into the corner. The giant ends up doing a big hip toss uh, to Jarrett, sending him across the ring. Jarrett tries to do an Irish whip to the giant into the ropes, but the giant reverses. Jarrett ends up ducking a clothesline from the giant, and then he himself uh, just ends up jumping onto the back of the giant to do a sleeper hold. The giant is able to escape by doing a turnbuckle squash, leaning his back into the turnbuckle to squish Jarrett into the corner. Giant ends up tossing Jarrett into the ropes and hits a big boot onto Jeff Jarrett, knocking him down. He ends up getting a two count uh, by referee Nick Patrick. Uh, uh, Jarrett ends up try- escaping by getting his foot onto the ropes to end up breaking the, uh, the uh, pinfall attempt. Giant hits right in front of the referee, too. He ends up doing a headbutt to Jared's groin. So he spread eagles him and just drops the big head on Jared's groin. I don't know why that wasn't a DQ, but then again, it's Nick Patrick, and he's, they're kind of playing on the idea that he's kind of their heel referee or his turning heel, so to speak. Um, 
Patrick admonishes, or no, I guess what it was is that Rick Flair was kind of like on the apron or jaw jacking with Nick Patrick and Patrick's back was turned, but it was just a weird headbutt shot to Jared's groin and just nothing really more came of it. At one point we Flair ends up picking up the microphone and is encouraging Jared to get up to fight back. He's doing it to distract the giant as a means of just trying to get some kind of involvement. The giant ends up catching Jeff Jarrett trying to do a, cro- a cross body off of the second buckle. Uh, and he ends up giving two backbreakers to Jared over his knee. The giant begins to work a bear hug on in the middle of the ring, squeezing the body of uh, Jeff Jarrett. But Jarrett is able to escape and he ends up hitting the ropes. He does like a baseball slide between the giant's legs. He hits a couple of drop kicks. He then, for whatever reason, thinks he can body slam the giant. But in the process of picking him up, the weight of the giant overcomes and he falls back taking a big back bump with the giant's weight fully on top. We get a two count from referee Nick Patrick. Jared is able to recover. He climbs to the top rope, hits a high cross body onto the giant. He does get a two count. Jared tries to do the figure four, but the giant essentially just kicks Jared right in the rear and pushes him out onto the floor. The giant essentially uh, lines Jared's body up to kind of do a rail run into the post, but Jared ends up missing or moving out of the way, and the giant kind of headbutts himself into the post itself, knocks himself down. Jarrett puts the figure four on the giant on the floor, but the giant ends up sitting up from the figure four, grabbing Jarrett by the throat to cause him to break the figure four, and threatens that he's going to end up picking up Jarrett and choke slamming him on the floor. And just as about he's he's going to set up to do the move, we see Ric Flair in the back do a low blow from behind the giant, which in front of the referee, Nick Patrick calls for the DQ finish. The giant wins due to Flair's outside interference and the big groin shot from behind. I was surprisingly impressed with Jeff Jarrett for this match. And I know we had matches, you know, when we were doing our In Your House series that were good. But I did not expect him to carry Giant to, well, the ending was great. But to as good of a match as this was while it was going. Jared's got two kicks, like drop kicks right to Giant's face. I did not think he could get up that far. I'm wondering if maybe the storyline for a moment was, yeah, you're taking flare spot in the Horseman. Kind of like, you know, Mr. Perfect was going to take Arn Spot. And maybe when the plan changed here, it's like, well, that's it then. Uh, you know, I was promised this certain level and you're, now you're taken away from me. So I'm going to leave again because that's kind of what he did at this point in his career. But uh, uh, educator there. Um, I'm just wondering, though, uh, what kind of spot is it? Not just any spot. It's not a dog spot. It's not a sun spot. It's not a liver spot. It's flare spot. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I mean, match was all right for Woods. I was impressed with Jarrett, but like the Nick Patrick's thing starting to get a little much. And uh, the next next match is where it really pushed over for me. It's funny you say that, Kevin, because I have a note that says, does a heel ref work <laughs> for the next match? Because it just, uh, yeah, it gets a little little annoying with Nick Patrick. So anyways, we get, uh, once again, Ted DiBiase, this time introducing six 
and then, you know, accompanied by Vincent once again. So we get six taking on Jericho. Um, and while we were sitting ringside, we see Conan, Big Bubba Rogers, and the Taskmaster, but a more realistic version of the Dungeon of Doom. More realistic version. They're kind of in their street clothes. I mean, it, it's weird seeing Kevin Sullivan kind of in a suit. Um, you know, he's kind of dressed up, kind of more of like his backstage agent role. Uh, Conan is doing kind of the the gangster rap clothing that he was wearing, and then Bubba Rogers with really, you know, the leather pants, the black T-shirt. So kind of like their in-ring gear that they would have with this particular version of themselves as members of the Dungeon of Doom. Just the Taskmaster just looks so out of place. Just Kevin Sullivan in a suit sitting ringside just seemed weird. They look like guns for hire sitting at a bar waiting for someone to come in with a job for them. Like, if you walked into a bar and saw those three dressed that way, would be like, nope, turn right around, leave. Never coming back here again. These are people just waiting to get hired to ruin someone's life. So, when I saw this, it got me thinking. I was trying to figure out, like, how you can do a realistic Dungeon of Doom now. And I kind of have an idea for it. Is it called Retribution? No. <laughs> retribution, they are missing one. Don't get me started on Retribution because I could totally fix them in two seconds with one promo. But we'll not, we're not going to get to that. I have to write the promo first <laughs> before we get to that. No, easily they could just be like, oh, you know, no one cared about us or was talking about us until we put the mask. It's the Bane thing. Right. Until we started calling ourselves a funny name and then everyone is talking about us. Yeah. I mean, that's what you do. Right. All right. So anyways. Um, no, so just imagine Roman Reigns as the Taskmaster, okay? Oh, in his current incarnation, like what he's doing with the Usos? Okay. He's the tribal chief, right? Yeah. So this is what we got to do. We got to get, you know, he's, it's almost like a, a, it's a cult leader, but they're afraid of him in a certain way. And that's how you can even get people to dress up as the Zodiac, as this, as that, as you got to put like, can you imagine like the thing is you got to put your war paint on if you're going to look at me. You got, you know what I mean? Like you got to do this. You got to do yeah. that. Um, yeah. And it's a realistic like um, mafia style, right. um, you know, storyline. And that's really what the Dungeon of Doom could have been if it didn't. But it was just way too cartoonish. Like when I saw Kevin, um, Kevin Sullivan here, you know, it, with just the, the regular shirt and jacket. Um, hanging out, I thought, oh, that's kind of a cool look. Like, I, I like the idea of him scouting, still doing the Dungeon to Doom, but really it's more, you know, it's just a name and, and they're, you know, a grittier mafia-style biker gang, whatever you want right. to call it, just a gang, really. Yeah, I definitely see it, yeah. No, I was thinking, like, uh, Dungeon to Doom, not that it's, you know, we're cartoon characters, but you could even uh, tweak it like a Sons of Anarchy thing in a way. Like, that's just what we call ourselves. We're a family. We're a tribe. We're a group here. We're disciples of Apocalypse. Oh, God. We're the DLA. They're the disciples of doom. Let's get the Harris Brothers back, Kevin. Huh? Let's get them back. No, thank you. Um, yeah, so why don't we go ahead and uh, break down six versus Jericho with the always incredible heel, Nick Patrick. This is a weird time for Sean Waltman. I mean, this part of his career... With Sean Waltman, he this is October '96, 
And I just, I remember when we did the Henry House series and gentlemen help refresh my memory. Wasn't the February in your house 96, wasn't that the diaper match that he had with, with Razor Ramon? So I'm pretty sure because I remember the December in your house, they had a tag match, him and Marty Jannetty, uh, Razor Ramon and Marty Jannetty against Sid and one, two, three kid managed by DiBiase. So the February in your house, I believe was the diaper match. And then he was gone just a little bit after WrestleMania. So we got a few months off between the downtime of leaving WWF and now becoming a member of the NWO. Waltman here, Sean Waltman, as a member of the NWO, as six, it, it's just weird. His ring gear is the old lightning kid. I mean, he's got lightning bolts on his ring gear. He's got black ring gear with gold and red. Um, there's no mention of him being six on any of his gear. So he's got like this generic wrestling gear on. Um, and I guess maybe I'm just I'm so used to. Uh, the 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 bandana as as being a part of you know that's constantly you know on his forehead and him not wrestling with a bandana on it's just it's just such a weird year and he looks I'm not gonna say he's fat or he's pudgy but he he looks a lot thicker than he was during his WWE run he, to me he looks like a healthy professional wrestler at this size when he was doing the, when he was the sixth character in WW or in WCW. So he has a match with Chris Jericho, who has just debuted off of his run from ECW. Um, you know, Jericho, I believe had his first pay-per-view match at fall brawl. And now here he is at Halloween havoc. So we see the start of the match with Chris Jericho, doing a waist lock like suplex to six who I'm probably going to refer to as either X-Pac or Waltman throughout this, this review here, uh, Jericho and six end up trading, uh, rope reversals and so on. We see six missing a, a roundhouse like kick, uh, as Jericho ducks Jericho ends up hitting a bunch of Japanese and American style arm drags and starts working, uh, six's left shoulder. We see Jericho with a huge stiff chop in the corner to six and then throws uh, six into the corner, follows up with an avalanche like clothesline in the opposite corner. We see six reversing a corner Irish whip. Jericho climbs the top turnbuckle only for six to hit a drop kick that will send Jericho off the turnbuckle out onto the floor. Uh, as Jericho tries to climb back onto the apron, Six ends up hitting a drop kick that knocks Jericho back off the apron onto the guardrail, onto the floor, and then Six hits a slingshot front flip senton over the top rope onto Jericho, and then Irish whips Jericho into the guardrail as he's back out on the floor combating with Jericho. Uh, we see Six with his combination of kicks and then a spinning roundhouse kick to Jericho in the corner that he's known for. Uh, we see Six hitting a snap there and then a, a reverse chin lock to start working uh, on Jericho. And we have a rest hold for both guys to recover. Six hits in a very impressive kick to the forehead to Jericho when he attempts to do a roundhouse with one leg and Jericho caught the leg. And then he ends up just kicking with his opposite leg. Uh, you know, completely pressing his body up into the air and kind of kneeing or kicking uh, Jericho into the forehead. 
we end up seeing Jericho making a comeback with a second win. He does a back body drop to six. He does a spinning back kick to knock six down to the floor. Jericho does his second turnbuckle springboard cross body over the top rope to six who's on the floor. Jericho then uh, throws six into the ring. He climbs to the rope and does a diving back elbow to six. He ends up getting a two count from uh, hurting referee Nick Patrick. Six ends up hitting a stun gun like maneuver to Jericho where he drops Jericho's face and forehead in the corner turnbuckle. Six climbs the top rope and leaps off, but Jericho is able to hit an impressive drop kick as Six is coming down. And uh, there is a pinfall attempt, but it takes Nick Patrick forever to get there, and it's a very slow two count by Nick Patrick. We see Jericho hitting a flapjack onto Chris onto uh, Six, and then he sets up Six in the middle of the ring. He does his springboard lion salt. And by the time Nick Patrick got down on the onto the canvas and does a count, apparently it's a one count from Nick Patrick. So he's now selling that it's taking forever for him to do the count, that his neck is hurt. Uh, Jericho attempts to do another springboard cross body and is successful and gets a very long two count. And now Jericho is becoming visibly frustrated with the refereeing actions of Nick Patrick. So as he is starting, turns his back uh, to six and starts jaw jacking to the referee and the referee selling that his neck hurts. Uh, Six is able to hit his big roundhouse kick that he's known for. And because it happened right in front of Nick Patrick, Patrick is able to get down and do his standard cadence three count for the win and uh, of the match six. I mean, that's the thing. Nick Patrick's, whole gimmick and and story here overshadows the match and it's a shame like this match started out great i was enjoying the hell of it i i was just shocked by how good they both were together um six when he knocks jericho to the outside and then like doesn't let jericho get up and keeps pushing him down keeping out of the ring and all and taking control of the match i was like geez they're telling a great story here too and then the Nick Patrick shenanigans start with a slow count. I was like, oh, right. That's what's happening here. And it just took me out of it. I think I could forgive a bad match that has shenanigans more so than a match I was really enjoying and, and looking forward to how it progressed, having some crap like this at the end. But just, and I, I mean, it makes sense to you. Jericho's new. You got to get over six and then WO stuff. No, like I get it but they didn't need to have a gimmick referee angle in this match. They didn't need anything extra. They could have just gone. Cause when, when this match started, I'm like, Oh my gosh, are we going to have like maybe two top five discussions tonight or something? And then Nope. All out the window. Yeah. It's uh, it's unfortunate. So um, we followed that up with Mike Tanay, uh interviewing Lex Luger and for this note, I just have what a promo this was by Luger, huh? This is one of his better ones. I I, I was more fixated on Luger's hair for some reason. Oh, it's in my notes match. for next match. Yeah. Oh, crazy! <laughs> Did he stick his finger in a light socket? It was just crazy. It He's just got crazy like Ultimate Warrior hair at this point. Yeah. He really does. I'll tell you what, though. Luger looked great. I'm not a body guy, but geez, the guy was cut. He was really. I mean, he was obviously. He got the best body in the business. I absolutely I would say one uh one without a doubt I who mean, would be you your top argue... okay so l- let me ask you <laughs> let me ask you uh educator top three body guys uh Rick rude 
without a doubt. Hmm. I mean, Warrior was thick and was jacked, but I mean, there were cycles when he was on cycle, off cycle. It was so obvious. Uh, but Rick Rude was was always known for body. Um, I'm I, 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 John Morrison without a doubt. Uh, yeah. He's just cut. He's he's thinner, but he's cut and he's just maintained throughout throughout his career. Um, another one, and I would you know, it, it's kind of weird that I'm going to bring this up because you probably don't think of him as a body guy, but Chris Benoit was always shredded always always shredded um bulldog as well davy boy smith always bit thick muscular uh, but certainly not like a rick rude john morrison i was always impressed with bulldog's physique at least bulldog's physique in his um his first singles run when he was doing the dreads see i'd throw carrie von eric in there oh yeah 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 good call 95 percent great body. yeah well you know about a foot or so it's artificial but you know whatever. um i'm just very disappointed in you guys right uh-oh because you guys are forgetting you're forgetting some, some people but okay. alexa bliss maybe no i was gonna say i mean you're talking about three body guys i got a trio stack team champions that we can talk about <laughs> the educator True. the library the treats we're the body guys. I think I am called the library because I'm stacked. I can't stand you tonight. <laughs> I literally can't. They're great. They're great. You know what's great? Me. Speaking of right, let's just you know, go with you the know it's part of a complete breakfast. Me. Yeah, that's what that's what he would do. It's and it was so infuriating. I'd get so mad. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm proud of myself right now. You know who else is proud of you? Me. <laughs> you're gonna not do that. You're gonna do that, and you're gonna annoy your back. wife. You're bringing it back. Bringing it back, baby. It's retro now, so we can talk about it. So. <laughs> That's right. Uh, why don't we move on to match number five, which is Arn Anderson taking on Lex Luger? Ah, uh, so disappointing to know that this is Arn Anderson's last pay per view match. I'm wondering. I mean, do you know the story? Was did that everything that happened with Anderson and the, the main story that I heard was that he's working out in a gym, a fan comes up and slaps him on the back. Like, Hey, double a, how are you? And just a bolt of lightning goes down his body, his arm, and he can't feel his arm because just the way that the nerve was pinched or whatever, or the injury that was pinching nerves. Did this happen before this Halloween havoc match and he toughed it out or did this happened, you know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks later. I mean, I, I have no idea where it lines up. I thought it was he was at the gym and he went to pick up his water and he couldn't lift it. No. With that arm. No. It, the stories that I've heard listening to his podcast is that a fan. I mean, he was at a, at a gym working out and he was having issues and he was rehabbing and he thought he was making progress and things were getting better. But. You know, a fan just, you know, came back or I don't know if it was a fan, a friend or whomever, but somebody at the gym said, hey, I hadn't seen you in a while. How you been? Kind of slapped him on the back, just patting him, saying, hey, how are you? And uh, he knew instantly that, nope, that's it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I mean, honestly, I'm sure he didn't want it to happen either way. But, you know, maybe it's better that it happened there in a in a fluke moment than in the ring. Right. 
And I guess double A was 37, maybe yeah. 38 at the time. On my list Straight. of guys that I always thought was old when right. I was younger, like when we were in our teens and early 20s watching this, I'm like, Arn was not old. Yeah. He looked it, but he was not old. Yeah. What was the he... old, um, that like everyone in like the 80s and in like early 90s just looked older? Right. Have you ever seen that phenomenon, Kevin? Yeah. yeah. Just crazy. I always thought you were old, Kevin. That's why I act so immature. So that Try way to balance it out. Yeah. Well, you know, it's part of a a morning breakfast because they're great. They're great. Have you had chocolate frosted flakes? Uh, my wife actually bought some for the kids. Oh, chocozucaritas. Ugh. Cho- what? They're they're like Mexican as well, I guess. So they're called chocozucaritas. I'm gonna eat a bowl of cereal after this. We're body guys. Milk does the body good. All right. Why don't you go ahead and uh, break this one down for us, uh, educator? Or is Kevin Hellings going to break this one down? I'm reaching. I'm reaching. Oh, he pulls the hand back in. No hot tag for this one. All right. So we see the start of the match with Double A doing a stomp to the gut and a bunch of uh, forearms to the back of Luger and a gut shot to start the match. Anderson does a, an Irish whip and a basic uh, uh, clothesline that, and, and starts jaw jacking to Luger, uh, telling him that he's better. He's the reason, you know, why, uh, you know, the NWO had won. He's the, you know, didn't live up to the bargain at war games. They're just really running their mouth back and forth. Luger ends up rebounding at one point, hits a press slam onto double A and then hits a clothesline that knocks double A over the top rope onto the floor. Luger ends up picking up double A and then slams his back against the ring post back in the ring. We see an Irish whip and Lex Luger is able to do his known power slam to Arn Anderson. And now Luger begins working on double A's back. He drops three elbows to the, to the spine, the mid back of double A He starts working on the lower back with stomps. He ends up dropping his hips over uh, his lower back and ends up doing backbreakers to continue to wear down and work on Arn Anderson. Luger does an Irish whip to Anderson in the corner, and then Luger follows in with a back elbow that is then hit by Arn Anderson. Uh, As Anderson was following in, Luger bounds back with a back elbow. Anderson tries to climb the top turnbuckle, but Luger is able to knock him down and essentially causing him to straddle and flop over the edge of the turnbuckle. So now his back is exposed and he continues to work on the lower back while he's straddling over the turnbuckle. We end up seeing double A reversing an Irish whip attempt by Lex Luger and double A is able to catch Lex Luger to hit his, his amazing twisting spine buster. Anderson ends up shoving Luger through the ropes onto the floor, follows back out onto the floor to attack Luger. He rams Luger's back into the ring apron and then eventually into the guardrail. So now Anderson's working on Luger's lower back. Uh, He's using knees into the back and he's causing him to lean up against the apron. Uh, As Luger is standing on the apron with his back to the ropes facing the crowd, Anderson lays a huge knee into his back that sends Luger crashing out onto the floor to the guardrail. Eventually, Luger makes his way back into the ring, and Arn Anderson puts Luger into abdominal stretch. 
And because he's in the corner, he's going to slowly grab the ropes every so often for additional leverage and pressure working down Lex Luger's back. At one point, uh, Luger ends up telegraphing a back body drop and Double uh, A attempts to go for a DDT, but Luger ends up scooping onto the ropes, causing Double A to fall back and doing a hard back bump uh, as if he's trying to do that DDT. Double A ends up shoving Luger into referee Mark Curtis after Luger had attempted to do a clothesline to Arn Anderson. Anderson had ducked the clothesline, and then Luger's momentum almost carried him into Mark Curtis, but he was able to stop before colliding. But then Anderson ends up pushing the refer or pushing Luger into the referee. So now the referee being uh, knocked down, we see Anderson going and after a chair and attempts to uh, set Luger up by putting his body against the ring post on the floor. He swings the chair, but Luger moves out of the way. So he's like swinging the chair and smashes into the corner turnbuckle post. Uh, Luger ends up doing a slingshot, a double leg takedown, and that is a slingshot catapult into Arn Anderson into that uh, same floor post. And then he ends up hitting a standing vertical suplex on the floor uh, on the uh, protective mats. Luger is able to pick up that chair that Anderson tried to use. And he kind of botches his swings, and you could tell the way he's hitting uh, Anderson. He's trying to be very protective, but he ends up doing three chair shots across Anderson's back on the floor because the referee is still down from the ref bump from when Luger got shoved into referee Mark Curtis. Eventually, we throw Anderson back into the ring. Luger is able to pick up Arn Anderson for the rack and he ends up getting Arn Anderson to submit to the uh, the rack backbreaker finish. Post match, the music is playing. Luger refuses to let go of Arn Anderson, and he continues to shake Anderson in that backbreaker. And eventually, he finally drops him. Post match, we see Ric Flair and street clothed Jeff Jarrett come to the ring to check on Double uh, A status because Double A is now face first on the mat. And we've got health officials that are down there. We got a stretcher, but for whatever reason, we're not putting an injured Arn Anderson on a backboard. Instead, we're going to roll him out of the ring onto the stretcher. It kind of didn't make sense, but the winner of the match by submission is Lex Luger. And unfortunately, this will be uh, Arn Anderson's final pay-per-view appearance. It's a terrible match for a healthy Arn Anderson. It is forgivable and okay for I want to go out there one more time. But then there's moves in it. I'm like, if you have nerve damage, why are you doing some of this some of these moves? Like the torture rack, for example. Why? Why would you do that? Right. Yeah, you know, and I just I I mean, I, I've never wrestled. I think it's just a mindset of I want to say I'm done on my own terms. And this is as close to my own terms as I'm able to do right now. So I'm going to go out there and have this match. But then, like, I were either of you confused on who was supposed to be the heel and who was supposed to be the face? Yeah, for, it was like, kind of majority weird because, of the match. Yeah, the horsemen themselves were kind of getting cheered like they were faces because they're coming off of their feud with Dungeon of Doom. And they're kind of battling against the NWO. So it was kind of weird. And then what was Luger's role in this? Because he was, you know, 
Sting is no longer an ally to WCW, but he's supposedly Luger's friend. So, yeah, it, it was kind of weird. And again, the whole thing with Luger's hair kind of threw me off. So I don't know if this was supposed to be awful. a gimmick change, personality change or whatever. It looks like his hair's as shredded as he is. Um, <laughs> the the Dungeon of Doom stuff, too. If if the next match was beforehand, I, I don't know if if there's more because we're just watching this on its own and not everything else going on before it, you know, because I was like, why is the dungeon there? Why are they still there? Then the next match happens. I'm like, oh, my God, that's why they're still there. Oh, I forgot about all this. But for this one, I'm like, why are they even out there? Why are they cheering Luger? I didn't understand any of it at all. It's, it's it's a shame for it happening to Arn, and I I get the I get the horsemen being cheered. I would say with NWO coming in as like an invading army here for horsemen would probably be like, listen, we've always been the baddest bad guys in WCW, but we've always been WCW, right? Yeah, so I could see it, but it's just it's a shame for Arn, you know. He could have had a lot more years. Yeah, you bring up a great point, though, Kevin, with the invading faction. And, of course, watching the In Your House series, we remember all of the factions at WWF. Faction action. Yeah, faction action. Um, WCW, w- when the NWO came in, they just engulfed everything, right? I mean, there wasn't oh, even, yeah. <laughs> like, there wasn't a dungeon of... I mean, you could have done faction action in WCW. Dungeon of Doom, you got the Four Horsemen... You got an NWO if you would have kept the NWO small. Um, and then you got the WCW Alliance, which was like the originals or whatever you want to call right. them. Yeah. Um, I mean, Colonel Parker's still there. You could have done a new stud stable. Right. Like, it's just kind of fascinating how, you know, NWO, as great as the gimmick was, it was, you know, one note thing that came in, took everything by storm, and then they just they fed everyone to Hogan. Right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, on that note, why don't we pay some bills and take a quick little commercial break. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Are you ready to push yourself to your limits? Do you want to become a body guy like the trios tag team champions? We'll put on those gym shorts because it's time time to work on those biceps with the Kevin Hellions Library Book Curls. Or, the Educator of Excellence will teach you how to drive the ladies crazy with his aerobics routines. And Manny Treach will show you how to do crunches while sitting and editing a retro wrestling podcast. And, if you sign up right now, we will throw in the Chrome Meltzer Melt That Fed Away Ab Workout for free. So subscribe to the House Show Podcast and be the first to learn about this workout podcast coming to the Retro Network. The House Show Podcast. Coming very soon to a podcast channel near you. And we are back with Mr. Personality, Lee Marshall, and the WCW Hotline. Uh, we want to know what's going on with Sting here. Do you guys know what's going on with Sting? I don't know, but I got a question for you guys. Where's Gene Okerlund? 
Yeah, I, I mean, did he have the night he, off? Did he have a family thing? Because he's still in the company. He's still in the company, and yeah, we got Lee Marshall shilling the hotline for Gene. I'm wondering if there was something going on. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe he had the same meal I had last week. Oh, yeah. We we should get Leslie Nielsen on the case. <laughs> yeah, I'll yep. solve it. So, anyways, we get uh, an interview with Harlem Heat with Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry. Uh, what'd you guys think of this quick little promo? Anything? I mean, there's really not much to it. Not too, too much to it. Just, you know, uh, 110th Street, you know, Harlem, New York, suckers. We're, we, we are not here to play kind of deal. All right. And then we get match number six on the night, which is the Faces of Fear, which, of course, is Mang and the Barbarian with Jimmy Hart taking on Steve Mongo McMichael with Chris Benoit. And in their corner is Deborah and Woman. Um I really like the Faces of Fear team. Like I, yeah, like yeah. they're awesome. They reminded me, it, it, as weird as it sounds, and I have a little note here, is that's like AOP. Like yeah. AOP, that's who AOP should be. Right. They're Samoan Road Warriors. Speaking of AOP, we got to bring them back with um, we got the Usos on one side, and get AOP on the other, and have that be the faction of five. Could you have two tag teams in one faction? Yeah. Why not? <sighs> No, uh, I don't know. I don't like see it. it because you know oh, which one of them's going after the tag titles, and then when one of them gets the tag titles, then what about the other team? What are they doing? So it's why it's why you know Money Inc. and Nasty Boys, and then Nasty Boys and and uh, the Natural Disasters. Why they all couldn't coexist when being managed by Jimmy Hart? You know, I just I don't see it. AOP, are they even under contract right now? They're they were released, no, they, right? I, they were they released, released forever ago. So I'm she. Well, I don't know forever ago. I just I think they're maybe their ninety days is expired, but I know they got released over the summer. It wasn't a part of the original COVID cuts, but um, but I know they got released. Yeah, that's shocking to me because they're so young too. There's got to be something else. Injury prone. Yeah. They both that yeah, injury, but still they're young. They're big. So what did you guys think of? Uh, of of this match. I absolutely loved this match. This is my sleeper match of the night. Unexpected. Uh, so the the thing about this particular match, there were two um two spots in this match that I thought were absolutely amazing. There was a tag team maneuver that the faces of fear did, a combination maneuver onto Benoit that should be a, a, a standard finishing maneuver for a tag team to complete a match. And then there was just another spot with Benoit getting thrown three quarters of the way across the ring off the top rope. I, I'm just crazy that there was not an injury as a result of this. Um, but yeah, a, as limited as what Mongo was, the spots that he had in his match were he, he seemed a very capable individual here. Uh, just fa- a great match and uh, the post-match beat down I thought was fantastic. You see who's in there. Ming, I just thought never clicked in WCW barbarian. You know, he had that title shot, but that's been about it. Benoit, we know can do it. Mongo, geez, the guy's got a Twitter account. That's nothing but his botches. I, I was expecting nothing. And then the match goes. I was like, oh, my God, I was stunned. I would have been on like standing up going nuts for this match if I saw yeah. it live. I was amazed. And then I love that ending beat down. Oh, yeah. geez, that was intense. 
absolutely. Benoit, you know, trying to put up a fight against the five. Yeah. And he, he is. He, he's doing as best as he can. And then finally they just overcome and just completely take him out. It's great. All right. So because you love this match, I'm going to guess this is the hot tag of the night. <laughs> Not a chance. Yeah, that's what I thought. So educator, chance. take it away. So we see the start of the match. It begins with Ming and Mongo McMichael, and Ming kind of threatens to do an axe kick, and he ends up scaring McMichael to the point where Mongo kind of falls back on his rear towards uh, his corner to Benoit, and he's just like, nope, nope, not today. So we see Mongo and Meng. They're trading basically shoulder block thrust back and forth. Neither man is backing down. Uh, Both men refuse to sell, refuse to move. At one point, Mongo decides to go for a three-point stance and does a diving tackle that will actually knock Meng off of his feet. Uh, at this point, both Benoit and now the Barbarian have tagged into the match. Uh, Barbarian does a bunch of forearms and chops to Benoit in the corner. Benoit is able to rebound with a Northern Light suplex onto the Barbarian and hold a bridge, and he ends up getting a two-count from referee Mark Curtis. We see Benoit stopping the Barbarian in the corner, uh, getting a lot of crowd uh, crowd excitement involved. Eventually, both men tag out, so now we're back to McMichael and Meng. Meng is now decides to challenge Steve McMichael to a sumo standoff, and he's flopping his legs back and forth like he's Yokozuna. At one point, Meng decides to charge on Mongo with a flurry of chops to back Mongo into the corner. Mongo responds by doing a, a two-point stance and roll arounds to end up doing a uh, set of series of chalk blocks that will end up knocking both Meng and the Barbarian down. But then Meng and Barbarian are able to overcome McMongo, uh, McMichael and end up you know, working on him to keep him down to stop his offense. We see Mongo hitting an Irish whip into the corner off to Meng. And Mongo throws a great-looking dropkick. I'm shocked that I'm saying that onto Meng. That kind of staggers Meng back into the corner. Uh, but then Meng ends up rebounding back and taking Mongo out. Then we see Benoit tag back into the match. And then we uh, there's a maneuver that I just thought is a great tandem tag maneuver that ends up happening. Where Benoit gets Irish whipped into the ropes. And Meng kind of sets himself up like he's going to do a Dudley death drop, but instead he does a back body drop to Benoit. Benoit's flailing body then gets caught by the barbarian who then does a power bomb, knocking Benoit down to the center of the canvas. So he gets flipped by Meng into a power bomb I just thought that was an absolute phenomenal looking maneuver. And that should be a, just a tandem tag team finish right there. Barbarian is now in the ring. He sets up uh, Benoit into the corner turnbuckle and he follows Benoit up. And now they are both standing on the top rope and he ends up the barbarian does a belly to belly suplex like throw where Benoit soars three quarters to 80% across the ring on one of the biggest front flip bumps I have ever seen in my life. It was absolutely crazy. And I'm shocked that Benoit did not have 
any kind of injury or at least apparent injury from that. He ends up coming back and does some more offense later on in the match. Uh, Barbarian and Ming do uh, an opposite corner top rope dueling headbutt uh, spot onto Benoit, who is laying prone in the middle of the ring. There is a pinfall attempt, but McMichaels gets into the ring and breaks up the pinfall attempt. Uh, Barbarian and Meng do another uh, ode to a former tag team. They do the powerplex splash combo, but instead of it being a superplex off the top rope, Meng ends up doing a uh, splash, and Barbarian just does a front suplex kind of in the ring. Uh, but they hit that combination. And then for we see this w- craziness where McMichaels, as Meng is trying to do the pinfall, McMichaels runs around the ring. He grabs the Halliburton case from uh, Deborah, and when the referee is not paying attention, he slams that Halliburton case over Meng's face. Crazy, crazy hard bump uh, swing of that onto Meng to break up the pinfall. Now Meng is laid out in the ring. Benoit climbs to the top rope and hits his diving swan headbutt onto Meng and gets the one, two, three pinfall. Post-match, we see the three members of the Dungeon of Doom who are sitting at ringside. This would be the Taskmaster, Conan, and uh, Big Bubba Rogers. They all three storm the ring, and they start attacking Benoit. Benoit puts up a fight against now all five members, but eventually uh, the Halliburton case is used to knock Benoit down, and now both McMichael and Benoit are just laid out in the ring, and the Dungeon of Doom are standing tall. I loved Mongo and Ming facing off like sumos and the and the you know football stance or whatever there. It's fantastic. You're right. I love that double team move. I'm like, put the tag titles on these two now. They absolutely should have been cha- had a run. That was incredible. I I was just I couldn't believe even Mongo, like he was protected, but he did well in the match. He did well for his spots, but everything was going amazing. I really liked the match. And then that ending and yes, elephant in the room. It's like, Oh, this is kind of tough to watch, but yeah, you separate the art from the artist. God, that was so well done. It was amazingly well done. You're like, I need to see Sullivan Benoit just tear each other apart for like the next year after that segment. Oh, it was so cool. Um, Kevin Sullivan, though, uh, the only one that dressed up for Halloween. He's in his uh, T.L. Hopper costume. He's in his T.L. Hopper. I just saw that. He's like (laughs) taking his jacket off. He's unbuttoning his shirt, telling woman how he's still the man. And I'm like, what is he doing? And he pulls off his shirt just to stop Benoit a couple more times. I'm just like, okay, sure. I I enjoyed that. I thought that was awesome. He was such such a well-done angle. Yeah, anything Benoit is going to be tough, but to, to separate and just focus on, you know, the 10, 15 minutes here on screen. Fantastic work. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Faces of fear. Bring them back. Let's go. <laughs> Loved every second of it. You so, know, those two probably could. Well, I know Mang, uh, he was doing stuff in New Japan. Yeah, he was. You know, because of the Gorillas of Destiny. Yeah. Help me out. How are the Gorillas of Destiny related to? They're like his kids, aren't they? Or one of them is? Yeah, Tunga Loa. Loa is his kid, right? 
So then we get Ted DiBiase once again with Vincent introducing the Outsiders. And then we get our tag team match, which is the Outsiders taking on Harlem Heat. Of course, Harlem Heat with Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry. And uh, yeah, what did you guys think of this match? I thought this was interesting. I have a few notes, um, some things that really don't make sense to me. Um, But yeah, what what did you guys think? I'm escaping remembering the storyline of how Harlem Heat had. I, I know Sister Sherry somehow is falling for Colonel Robert Parker. And now Colonel Robert Parker, who no longer has a stud stable, is now like a de facto manager or is a part of with Harlem Heat. I remember hearing on a podcast originally that the the plan for Harlem heat when they were brought in, when they were Kane and Cole of Harlem heat was that they were originally going to be managed by Robert Parker prior to him having the stud stable where he apparently won these guys in a card game or something. And now they were like his slaves or servant. It was something like crazy off the wall. And they're like, no, no, we can't, we can't have the Southern plantation owner with two black guys as, you know, there's just no way they were not going to do that. in that Southern wrestling company, there's just no way. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know what the deal was. The finish with Robert Parker, uh, kind of just handing over the cane to, to avoid getting beat up by Nash, uh, kind of, kind of crazy, but, uh, I like the chemistry between Harlem heat and the outsiders. I thought they had a really, really good chemistry together. The Harlem hangover that Stevie Ray hit or yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Booker T hit. I should say, uh, onto Scott hall. Oh my God. Nailed it perfectly. The flip. It was just fantastic. Um, just lots of heel heat with the finish of the match. Crowd loved it. Crowd was just all over. Ha- had a fantastic, fantastic outing with both men uh, here. Uh, another sleeper match for me might be a discussion for a top five as well. I don't know. It kind of depends on, and and the way I'm leaning is Hall and Nash did not have their attitudes yet, or at least to the level that they got there. So there's a lot in this match where I'm like, okay, there's a good back and forth. There's respect. There's good storyline. You know, we kind of knew who was going to win, but it makes sense organically and all versus no, I have creative control. So screw you. I'm going to win. And I don't think they pulled that. I don't think they're at that level yet. There seems to be a lot of respect going on in this match and it helps it a lot compared to Hall and Nash stuff we see and Hogan and everyone else later on. It's another one of those matches too that I don't know who's supposed to be the face and who's supposed to right. be the heel. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I, they're so early in the NWO and they don't know what that faction's supposed to be. Cause originally coming in, they were invading WCW. They're supposed to be heel, but they were so cool. Like they were and, so cool. And so entertaining. You know, Hogan has absolutely been entertaining and right. you know, Hall and Nash are so cool that people just gravitate and it's something new and fresh and people like it and they're eating it up, but it, it, it just fails from, okay, is Harlem heat the faces then de facto? No, they don't seem like it. Cause they have Colonel right. Robert Parker and sister Sherry. Right. 
But yeah, it's it's just an odd it's an odd mix in this match. It is. I thought they had great chemistry though. I really did. Uh the the interaction, you know, the fact Harlem Heat not backing down from Holland Nash yeah. being competitive with I mean both of, of I mean Harlem Heat both physically imposing guys and looking very very uh, compa- comparable to Kevin Nash and able to just throw with Kevin Nash and, and you know and be you know very offensive as well as being able to uh, sell for uh, for Hoss for Nash I just I, I like this match a lot I really do all right guys um, if you're keeping track at home this is our co-main event of the evening of course our main event is Hollywood Hogan versus oh, the Macho oh. Man are you okay Kevin Yep. Keep going. So, Mr. Kevin Hellions' Halloween Havoc breakdown will happen in one of these matches. So, my question to the educator is, is the co-main event our Kevin Hellions' Halloween Havoc breakdown, or will the Kevin Hellions' Halloween Havoc breakdown be the main event of the evening, Mr. Educator? Which one is it? So, Hellions, I hope you really got some good notes for this match. Because uh, <laughs> I'm passing over you, man. You're going to do the main event and sit on the <laughs> So we're going to start with Holland Nash against Booker T and Stevie Ray for the tag team championships. We Booker T and Stevie Ray, they look so young in the ring uh, here in 96. Very, very young. So we were used to Booker T with the dreadlocks and so on, but... So super young here. Uh, we see Scott Hall and Booker T start off the match. Scott Hall does the toothpick flick in the spooky fingers spot to really get under Booker T's skin. Booker T is able to follow up with an arm drag takedown onto Scott Hall and start working on an arm bar uh, that he reverses as Hall attempts his own arm bar. And then Booker T does his wind up sidekick onto Scott Hall to knock Hall down. Scott Hall ends up uh, catching Booker T with a right hand and then does his spin around right follow up to knock Booker T down onto the mat. Booker T is able to reverse a hip toss and ends up sending Scott Hall over the top rope onto the floor. The announcers were questioning whether or not that should be a DQ. I had forgotten at this point that there was still the over the top rope DQ apparently uh, in WCW. Uh, But as Hall is on the floor, Stevie Ray drops down from the apron and ends up doing a stiff clothesline to Scott Hall to knock him down. Eventually, Hall's back in the ring and Stevie Ray tags in and starts working with Hall. And Hall decides to do a spot where he just spits into Stevie Ray's chest and face, getting huge crowd heat. And then Scott Hall does the chicken shit run away and ends up tagging in Nash uh, to deal with that and it just huge huge crowd heat Nash gets in the ring and does Kevin Nash you know maneuvers he does the big knee follow up with the elbow to the back onto Stevie Ray gets Stevie Ray in the corner does the forearms the knees in the corner to continue to work on Stevie Ray Stevie Ray is able to actually catch Nash following in with a back elbow as there was an Irish whip into the corner, and then he does a clothesline that actually takes Kevin Nash off of his feet. We see Stevie Ray laying a bunch of stomps onto Kevin Nash, who's like down in the corner, 
And then when the referee's back was turned, I love the little spot that Sherry got in where she ends up doing a hair yank and an eye, eye rake onto Kevin Nash. Booker T tags into the match and he ends up doing a big axe kick to the back of Nash's head for a two count. Stevie Ray eventually comes back in. He ends up missing a charge to Kevin Nash in the corner. And then Kevin Nash catches him on a rebound and ends up doing his side slam to Stevie Ray, allowing Scott Hall to get tagged in. Scott tags in. He hits three big right fists. Uh, he does a reversal on an Irish whip and ends up causing uh, Stevie Ray to rebound off of the corner. Hall climbs up to the second rope and ends up doing a second rope bulldog leap onto Stevie Ray, ends up getting a two count from referee Mark Curtis. Stevie Ray with the clothesline onto uh, Scott Hall, and then he ends up tagging in Booker T. Booker T starts working a reverse chin lock, so he kind of got a rest hold just in the middle of the match. Hall ends up doing an Irish whip to Booker T into the ropes, but then Nash hits Booker T from behind as he hits the back of the ropes, and then Hall follows up with a clothesline to knock Booker T down. Nash gets tagged into the match, hits Booker T, sends him into the ropes and hits the big boot, and then scoops up Booker T and does what we call the snake eyes maneuver, dropping him face first into the corner. Scott Hall is tagged back in. Hall ends up doing his choke slam that he was known for during his Razor Ramon gimmick to Booker T. Stevie Ray does a run in to stop and break up the pinfall attempt. Scott Hall ends up uh, doing an Irish whip to Booker T into the ropes. Uh, he ends up, Booker T uh, ducks a clothesline attempt. And then on the second rebound, Booker T tries to do a crossbody block onto Scott Hall, but Scott Hall catches him and ends up doing his reverse fallaway slam to a huge crowd pop. Now we see Sensational Sherry or Sister Sherry up on the apron, frustrated with Scott Hall. She ends up giving Scott Hall a stiff slap to the face. Even referee Mark Curtis was shocked at the stiff slap. Scott Hall responds by kissing Sherry, swap and spit. The announcers are just going nuts during this happening. When Scott Hall turns around, Booker T ends up doing his spinning wheel kick to knock Scott Hall down. Scott Hall sends Booker T into the ropes. He catches him with a sleeper hold, but Booker T is able to escape and then reverse the sleeper hold. Hall ends up doing a belly-to-back suplex uh, attempt to escape the sleeper hold, but ends up crotching Booker T over the ropes. Both men are now running back and forth, hitting the ropes, and they end up colliding head-to-head doing a double drop to the canvas, and the referee is now in a double count on both men. Booker T is able to get a quick tag into Stevie Ray, and this is the big hot tag of the match. Booker T tagged out, Stevie Ray in. Stevie Ray is clubbing both outsiders. He ends up clotheslining both. At one point, Stevie Ray picks up Scott Hall and press slams Scott Hall and throws him onto Kevin Nash to knock Kevin Nash down. We see Booker T come back in and in this melee and clotheslines Kevin Nash over the top rope onto the floor. We end up seeing a side suplex to Scott Hall by Stevie Ray. Booker T climbs to the top rope and hits an amazing-looking Harlem hangover. The leg perfectly draped over Scott Hall's throat on the landing. 
uh, and Stevie Ray is going for the pinfall attempt. As Kevin Nash comes into the ring to attempt to break up the pinfall count, uh, Colonel Robert Parker then runs into the ring to try to stop Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash turns his efforts onto Colonel Robert Parker, who was going to swing his cane to knock or to hit Kevin Nash. And at some point during the exchange, Nash threatens Colonel Robert Parker to hand over the cane, which he apparently he just reluctantly does. And then Robert Parker takes off running for his life. Kevin Nash then swings the cane and knocks uh, Stevie Ray, uh, knocks Stevie Ray with the cane two times. Apparently the referee was distracted by Sister Sherry and Ted DiBiase and Vincent or whomever was at ringside. But it ends up two cane swipes by Kevin Nash onto Stevie Ray. And we now have Scott Hall able to drape his arm over a prone Stevie Ray for the one, two, three pin. And the crowd loved every moment of the match. We have new world tag team champions, the outsiders. At the start of the match, there's a moment that shows just how over and unpredictable the whole NWO angle is. And that's when all the fans' attention is drawn somewhere else. I'm assuming there's a fight in the crowd. But everyone else turns because they're probably expecting some new face to WCW coming out through the crowd. Some jump from WWF or whatever. And everyone turns because that's just what it was. And everyone's excited for it. Who is the who is the newest acquisition for this show that's joining the NWO? Yep. Yeah. Um what was crazy for me is seeing a sober together Scott Hall and right. how good he was. Yeah. And he's arrogant and he's cocky, but he can back up and he's doing so well. He's a workhorse of this match. And he and Nash are still trying to, to wrestle first and not just have everything handed to them. Like it seemed, you know, later in their WCW NWO careers here. But I, I mean, one glaring mistake in this match yeah you you don't pull the mask off the lone ranger you don't tug on superman's cape you don't mess around with jim and why in god's name would you spit on stevie ray right (laughs) like she i saw it happen i was like he's gonna get his ass kicked yeah it's just nuts and the cocky chicken immediate tag out and let nash deal with it i thought that was funny yeah Fantastic. I mean, we all know someone that's, uh, and, and not that Scott Hall's small, but Nash is just yeah. bigger. But yeah. we all know someone that will run their mouth and get in trouble because they got a bigger friend behind them. Right. Exactly. Fint. The chemistry was great. Such good work together. I'm just, I, it, it's another name on a list of like, geez, I wish you didn't have certain problems and issues and yeah. addictions and all because it could have been so much more. Right. Yeah, like you guys said, very fun match and a uh, a good co-main event. So we follow that up with a World War Three commercial. Uh, no longer the Super Brawl, it's or the Battle Bowl or whatever it was. Uh, they moved on to the World War Three gimmick, um, and then guys, we get another NWO segment, and uh, we get Hollywood Hogan with hair. It, it's glorious. Fan- it's hair. fantastic. It is compared to an old haircut Sting used to have with the big flat top. Oh, it's great. 
was was the hairpiece that he used was that for one of his movies? Was that for the Three Ninjas yeah. movie? I yeah. think for Three Ninjas. And then ninjas. he just wore it. I mean, hilarious. I mean, fantastic. Yeah. It's a it's a fantastic gimmick. Of course, he's out with uh, he's got DiBiase, Vincent, and the Giant with us, and uh, we have to talk about his promo guys because earlier in the evening, when we first started the show, we promised a special special announcement and it coincides with this promo um if you guys are looking on you know kind of the days we drop on thursdays here so coming up next week is thanksgiving uh we will be here with another new episode of the haunted house show we are continuing with our house shows um you know halloween havocs through when we get done but when we get done we have a special christmas treat for you we're not covering a wrestling um, event we are going to cover the holiday film santa with muscles oh baby christmas tradition now educator has never seen santa with muscles kevin have you seen it i've never seen this oh i watched it last year do I need to watch, like, Santa with bones or Santa with, uh... Speaking of body guys, I'm surprised Santa wasn't on the list here for, for, for your body guy talk. But uh, Santa with muscles, guys, it is free. Uh, it is currently on 2 by TV. 2 by 2 by 2 b What do you call it? I call it 2 Or if I really want to be silly, I call it Tubby. Okay. Sit and watch it all day. Tubby TV, T-U-B-I. You can download the app. It is free. You don't have to create a login or anything like that. I believe there is commercials, which will just make the movie feel longer than what it is. Uh, but yeah, it'll be funny. I'm not sure how we're going to cover that because we're just throwing it out there. We wanted to give you guys, though, a special little Christmas treat. That'll be dropping in a month on, I think it's Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve morning. Yeah, well, I mean... Uh, Added to the, the long list of, of Christmas traditions that we are doing. Are you guys excited to cover a movie, kind of switch it up and, and see what we can come up with? And, uh, you know, I, I, how do you take notes for it? I, I really don't know what to expect at this point, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be a happening. And our listeners, they're going to go banana. I'm just wondering uh, where it's going to fit on our top five. Yeah, yeah it's a uh, let's just say the movie starts with uh, paintball. Ooh, just a little tease for you. A little tease. So the reason we bring that up, though, and I didn't realize it, is Hogan actually mentions that Santa with Muscles is coming out in a few weeks um, on the show. He talks about Three Ninjas, his Hollywood career moving forward. We get Michael Buffer with the intro, and it's the weirdest intro because Savage's music, Savage's music's playing, Hogan's there. Um, and then we get to our main event, guys, which is Hollywood Hogan taking on uh, the Macho Man, who comes out with the monster truck. The monster truck <laughs> from earlier comes out. Street um, legal. Street legal, baby. I love the hair. Uh, Miss Elizabeth's involved. There's DiBiase. Nick Patrick's involved. A lot of stuff's going on. Um, so, so what did you think of the match, Educator? I thought, unfortunately for me, this is the corniness of this pay-per-view. This main event really pulls the pay-per-view down what was an amazing amazing show so far this main event and it's not just the main event it's the promo after the new guest the new add to the roster 
that promo just continued to drag on and on and on and what should have been a Monday Nitro finish as opposed to a pay-per-view finish um, is what it is. It's the this over-the-top booking regarding the referee Nick Patrick's involvement and him just allowing things to go hap- you know, go go on. And the the heelishness of everything was just a little bit too over the top for me. If you put the Hogan Flair match that we loved on this card, because Flair's injured, but he's not really involved in a match, so you could have the whole previous card untouched, have that Hogan Flair one. This would be number one of the Halloween Havoc pay per views. But this match and it just stuff hurts in this. Yeah, it does. See, I enjoyed this match. I I, I enjoyed the antics of Hogan with the hair. That was great. Um, I understand (laughs) there is a lot of moving parts. I did not like uh, which we didn't even mention. I didn't even bring up. But Educator brings it up is after the match. Roddy Piper comes out. Right. And cuts a promo. And I agree with you. That should have been a nitro. I mean, the promo is so long. They leave the pay-per-view like. They're like, we got to go. And they're still talking. They're still, they're, they're still, still talking in the ring. Um, so in the pre-internet era, you could have had Piper come out for the live crowd and then just do the same thing on Nitro the next night. Right. True. In all honesty, just because, I mean, now you can't do it because everyone's got a cell phone. Well, I mean, you could, there's no one in the arena, but now you could do it because everyone's got a cell phone and stuff. But back then. I mean, you would have it would have been a cool little thing for everyone that was in attendance. But yeah, I enjoyed this match. Um, not as good as the Flair um, Hogan match, but once right. again, Hogan I feel like is having a blast being a heel for like the first oh, time yeah. in his career. I mean, yeah. you could just Absolutely. see it. I mean, he's loving every second of it. The hair is fantastic. Um, it reminds me, and I, and I think that's where Kurt Angle, when he wore his hairpiece, right? Uh, you know, the same idea. It's just so over the top and ridiculous. Um, it's not a Matt classic. You're not going to get that when you have Hogan in a match. Um, so, no, it's not. It's not his first heel run. It's just his first heel run in like near 15 years, because he was brought into WWF, I believe, as a heel with Freddie Blassie. It it's not his it's his I would say it's his first heel run knowing how to get over with an audience. All right. Yeah. Since since he became Hulk Hogan. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But no, he's you know, he's he's done probably stuff in the AWA and whatnot. But um, all right, Kevin, are, are you a little nervous here? I, I am. I am. So a uh, quick question. Do you want me to stop at the pinfall and then? We'll do the. This is your segment, uh, Kevin. This is your segment. I could just, I could just keep talking all the way through and do so, it in one shot. Absolutely. Uh, so wait a minute. Let's set it up. You ready? Hot tag to Hellion. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Kevin Hellions Halloween Havoc breakdown. <sighs> I can read my notes for the show now, like that are posted on the site. And in the most shocking hot tag of the show history. Okay. So, yes, this is the hot tag segment of the night. First time I've had the main event as the hot tag match. For any new listeners, I do not know which match these two are picking. They know. And you can see little looks as we record. But I do not know which match, so as I'm watching the event, I just write down notes and thoughts and little things to myself for every match. Regardless, I actually was predicting, I thought I was calling Six and Jericho, or maybe Giant and Jeff Jarrett. Those were my guesses earlier this evening. I did not think it was going to be this one at all. 
Okay, here we go. Hollywood Hogan, WCW World Champion versus Randy Savage. Where is Elizabeth? A lot of stalling before starting with a headlock. Hogan is hamming it up. Hogan still has his sunglasses on. So much stalling. All Hogan, basic moves, Savage sells, then more stalling. Macho off the top, axe handle. Macho puts on the sunglasses. Savage grabs the wig, punches Hogan. Savage puts on the wig. He's the world's toughest skunk. Hogan leaves. Savage chases him down. Wig in Hogan's mouth. Savage hits Hogan with the chair. Ref takes the chair away. Hogan hits Savage with the chair. At the ring post. Chair again. Hogan dances. Hogan kisses Savage's Savage's head. Elizabeth finally comes out. Fringe, shoulder pads, and cleavage is a look. Sorry, it sounds like you're describing a porno right now. <laughs> you start with Hogan's dancing, and then Savage gives him a kiss like on the head, and then Miss Elizabeth comes out, and there's cleavage everywhere. I'm just throwing that out there, but continue. Savage, pull- it's, it's not getting any better now. Savage pulls down the trunks and rolls up Hogan. I'm going to have to switch the music to like sexy music. During this. <laughs> oh, you know what's sexy? Me. Oh. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> Me. Uh, Hogan keeps using Elizabeth as a shield. Big boo. Elizabeth gets in the ring to check on Savage. Hogan goes for the leg. Elizabeth is blocking him. Hogan puts Elizabeth in the corner. You are mine. Leg drop. Savage moves. Hogan with an object. Elizabeth grabs it. Ref bump. DiBiase wants the object. Nick Patrick is down. Macho with the elbow. Nick Patrick, one, two. Ow, my neck hurts. Nick Nick Patrick. <laughs> you gotta read it sexily. I'm gonna have you re-record it, but you gotta you have to you have to say your notes like in a sexy voice. Okay, I'll try from now on. Nick Patrick with the beatdown for an object is brought out again. Elizabeth warns Randy Savage. Savage uses the object. You sound like gold dust. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like gold dust. I'm a natural. Oh, oh man. You know who's a natural? Me. Me. Is <laughs> that... Savage goes after DiBiase. Giant is down. Or Giant comes down. Chokeslam on the floor. Giant rolls Macho in. Puts Hogan on the top. Pinfall. Okay. Let me keep going. Because this is my favorite spot of the night. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) Got the towel down. Giant brings down a bucket of ice and then spills it. <laughs> Finds some remaining ice and pours it on Hogan to wake him up. Savage is taken to the back. Hogan promo, music hits, bagpipes. It's Piper. Hogan reacts in fear. Some random person that looks like it's someone we should have known is standing behind Piper. Fans start throwing Slim Jims into the ring. 
Piper, if they didn't hate me so much, do you think they would cheer you so much? Piper, I'm the only guy you've never been able to beat. Again, Piper, all these people here made you. I'm the reason you got no hair. Piper says great things, but then they both just keep talking and keep saying, let me tell you something. It's finally over. No, Piper grabs the bell. Now we got a problem. This keeps going until they go off the air while dueling promos. I thought you were describing your notes there. <laughs> I should just, just end the podcast. Like when you're... <laughs> and that has been Kevin Hellion's Halloween Havoc Breakdown. Good job, Kevin. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Did it, man. Congratulations. Uh, any any final words on that, Edge? I think Kevin nailed it. I just, yeah, I could use as succinct as he could be. Always. Seriously, giant bringing down the buck of ice and then yeah. tripping and spilling it. Tripping and spilling, it was great. God, I couldn't stop laughing. I felt so bad for him in one way, and then the other way, I'm like, this is fantastic. God, it is fantastic. It is fantastic. You know what else is fantastic? <laughs> what is that, Kevin? <laughs> Me. <laughs> yeah. That's a t-shirt. Once we get the website back up and running. So. Uh, so I think that's going to do it for the show, guys. Halloween Havoc 96 in the books. But I think we got to try to rank some stuff. Yeah. All right. So why don't we start with matches? Now, um, I think we all agree Ray Mysterio, Dean Malenko will definitely be on the list. Or it's at least a contender for it, discussion. Yeah, it's at least a discussion for sure. Yeah. And I'm gonna put it out there. I was I love the Hall and Nash versus the uh, Harlem Heat. Where are you guys stand on that? Well, why don't we Why don't we start with the opening match, and we'll right. we'll try to rank that and see what we do. Okay. Okay. We'll start from there. All right. So, is it better than match number five on the list, which is currently Lex Luger versus Ron Simmons in the two out of three fall match? I would absolutely yeah. say so. I would agree. Is it better than beautiful Bobby Eaton, Terrence Taylor? Yes. yes. Another opener. I agree. Is it better than Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger? Yes. Yeah. All right. Is it better than Hogan versus Flair in the cage? Oh, this is going to be tough because there's it's a whole different dynamic. The storytelling of that match versus what this cruiserweight match is. It's literally uh, apples and oranges for wrestling. Yeah, it's apples and oranges. Um, so can, let me ask you a question. Let's not judge that. Is is Malenko Rey Mysterio better than the Nasty Boy Steiners? No. I, I wouldn't put it there. I love that Nasty Boy Steiners match. Just they're just clubbing the hell out of each other. Yeah. Stiff fest. See, because I said on the podcast, I thought Hogan Flair was the better match. Now, I would not rank Malenko... Ray over Hogan Flair, but I think it's better than Nasty Boy Steiner Brothers, as weird as that sounds. But that was me personally. Like, right. and I know it was a majority rules, and you guys said Nasty Steiner, but th- those are easier to compare than, right? I mean, true, true. The Hogan Flair match is just such a sports entertainment match compared yeah. to an actual wrestling match. I, for me, I am going to put the Malenko Mysterio below Hogan Flair. I'm, I'm, I'm very good with keeping it at three. Well, like I said, I did not think that it would uh, be better than uh, Hogan Flair. So, all right. So you were thinking the only other match would be the Outsiders Harlem Heat. I I would say, and 
looking at where we are with what's number five, I think we have a discussion to be had. So number five is beautiful Bobby Eaton versus Terrence Taylor now. Yeah. So is it better than that match? I would say it would be. Yeah. I would disagree. I don't think it is, but I'm, that was just me personally, um, but majority rules on the show. So, <laughs> so this is up to you guys. It'll go as high as you guys want. Is it better than Pillman Luger? No. As, as we were going through for the Dean Ray one, I was already thinking of where Outsiders Harlem Heat ranked, but I was already like, okay, on this discussion, yeah, it deserves a spot. And we all know what's going to happen next week. Yeah. I have, <laughs> I mean, I, I have not watched that match yet. Um, but, neither have I. Uh, WWE had a thing up of uh, like the top 10 Halloween Havoc matches, and that was number one. And they had a playlist. I'm like, I'm not looking at it. I'm not looking at anything. I don't want my opinion spoiled at all. I just want to go right, in right. watching that show. So number one is still the Nasty Boys versus the Steiner Brothers. Number two, Hogan versus Flair. Number three is Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Number four is Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger. And then number five is The Outsiders versus Harlem Heat from this show. Um, All right, guys, we got to rank Halloween Havoc 1996. We'll start from the bottom, work our way up. Is it better than 95? Absolutely. Is it better than 92? That's Jake's thing, right? Yeah. 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 Is it better in 93? Vader Cactus. 93, Vader Cactus. Yeah. Luger Simmons was 91. So, yeah, I I would say it's better than. Yeah. Yeah. Is it better than 94? That's the Flair Hogan. I would say so. For overall. I mean, the main events. I mean, the main events are not comparable, in my opinion, but I think overall the show itself as a whole was better. All right, is it better than the first one, 89? I would say so. Yeah. All right, is it better than 90? 90 was the weird Sting, Barry Windham cosplay Sting. Mm-hmm. I would say so. It had that Steiner Brothers Nasty Boys match. It had the Steiner's Nasties match. That was a two-hour one, too, right? Right. Put it ahead. All right, and then finally, do we have a new number one? Is it better than the 1991 Halloween Havoc, which, of course was headlined by Lex Luger versus Ron Simmons in the two out of three falls match. Uh, I, I'm going to say it is. You had Van Hammer, Bill Kazmaier, Big Josh and PN News. I mean. Oh, geez. It, yeah. Put it ahead. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it had the, the Chamber of Horrors match. Yeah. Yeah. Put it ahead. Yeah. I guess 96 is our new number one, guys. There it is. All right. So join us next week on Thanksgiving. Guys, we really lucked out here. Thanksgiving, and we're getting a title versus mask match. We get the Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Eddie Guerrero match. Um, I'm just looking through some of this card. I'm excited. We get Piper Hogan in the cage. Thanksgiving Day, bringing the the goods. (laughs) Also, too, next week, guys, join us as we will go over what we're thankful for. Exciting stuff. You guys excited? You guys aren't nearly as excited as I am for this. I, I, I'm pre-gaming some turkey. <laughs> All right. Uh, educator, anything you want to say to our people out there? Just want to say thanks to everybody for uh, giving us a listen, checking us out every week with the Monday run-in as well as our main show on Thursday. 
want to say a big thank you to the, our, my two co-hosts here. It's fantastic to always get together with you on a weekly basis and and break down and discuss uh, old shows that we remember ever so fondly. As always, a thank you to the Retro Network for your support and putting us on your platform and giving us the opportunity uh, to be a part of your inner circle. Oh, did we have to beat Chris Jericho for that? We did that night. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to say thank you to, obviously, the Retro Network, uh, fun.com for sponsoring the Retro Network and the show. Make sure you check our show notes. Click on the link to save 50% off one item at fun.com. Um, I want to thank my two uh, co-hosts as well. Always fun when Kevin Hellions can talk sexy. And uh, thank you to the educator for naming me number one body guy in the world. I really appreciate that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Maddie Treats. Once again, that's at Maddie Treats. And join us next week for a Thanksgiving episode. Uh, no days off for the for the podcast here. We're we're constantly going every week to the chagrin of the team here. We're here every week, so uh, make sure you 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 buckle up, listen, and Santa with muscles in a couple weeks. I'm excited for that. That should be fun. So, anyways, Kevin Hellions, take us home. All right, thank you guys for another great show. Thank you to Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you to WWE Network for the content. Thank you to Richard Reeder and Jason Gross for our logo. Shout out to our friends over at Odds with Wrestling. You can follow us across the internet at TRN House Show. You can follow Matt at Maddie Treats. You can follow me at Mass Library. And MassLibrary.com is my uh, home blog. And there's also now a Patreon for my extensive show notes if you enjoyed this main event call. <laughs> Just sounds like everyone did. Some people call them show notes, others say they're uh, erotic fanfic. Nice <laughs> little slash fiction there. Uh, thank you so much. There's, I, I enjoyed tonight's discussion. I enjoyed our debate over uh, the top five matches and the top five for overall Halloween Havoc. And if you want to know what the real number one is, me. <laughs> <laughs> This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.